And the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. And so, Lord God, I guess I'd ask that as we worship tonight, and that's hopefully the sermon, not just the singing, Lord, that we'd see just a little bit of what those 24 elders see, what the new creation sees. And that, Lord God, we would believe what we see so much that this world would no longer control us, no longer own us, no longer define us. Lord God, help us to preach. And Father, I pray for our brains um, would you pull all these pictures together? God, uh, new people are here, like my friend John. He's out there tonight, Lord. Didn't hear the other sermons. Um, some of us have been uh, off on vacation. All of these pieces, Lord, it's just uh, the most incredible picture in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Would you help our brains to pull it all together? Not so we could impress people at a party, but so we could see you, more of you more of your glory, Jesus the Christ. And it's in your name that we ask these things. Amen. In the uh, mid-80s, I was a youth director at Bel Air Presbyterian Church while I was going to seminary out at Fuller. It was Ronald Reagan's church and also home to folks like Kenny Rogers, Steve Allen, right? Carol Lawrence, Cheryl Ladd, I mean, that was really exciting for a hometown Littleton boy like me, and pretty depressing for Eloise. Eloise was our secretary, secretary for the youth department. She was single, divorced, and rather old. With the lines and the age spots, she wasn't anything special to look at. And for Bel Air, she was rather unrefined. I mean, she never used the, the intercom. She never learned how. She'd just yell, Peter, get the phone! And I'd go, get the phone. She wasn't a great secretary. She wore jeans. She wore jeans because one leg was skinny and shriveled and smaller than the other because of a bout with polio when she was a young girl. She wore jeans until, to her horror and shame, the new pastor made her wear dresses in order to project the right image at church. I really enjoyed Eloise, but to most people, she was a second-class citizen. And they treated her that way. Nothing overt, because after all, it was a church, so people knew how to say the right things. And yet, with the short attention spans, the impatience, the demands, with the eyes, people communicated... Uh, I've judged you. I've named you. Less than me. 
You know, we've been talking about how the eye is a mirror. How that biblical phrase, apple of the eye, literally means little man is shown, little man of the eye. You know, the word pupil refers to the black spot in your eye, and it also refers to, quote, a person being taught. When you look in another person's eye and see your reflection, you see a pupil in a pupil. I mean, you're being taught. You're being taught that person's judgment of you. Taught whether they mean to teach you or not. For when we see something that we want, our pupils dilate. Did you know that? Subconsciously, they dilate, as if to take in whatever we're looking at. And if we see something that we don't want, they constrict, as if to shut it out. Psychologists tell us that the human mind is incredibly perceptive at reading these subconscious signals and judgments, and Eloise read them. Most people esteemed her not. He had no form or comeliness that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him, and we esteemed him not. Paul writes, we once viewed Christ from a human point of view, and we regard him thus no longer. Well, one day, Eloise brought this old scrapbook into work, and I begged her to let me see it. She didn't want to let me see it, but I begged her. And I opened it up, and there on the first page was the young face of my secretary, our youth secretary, Eloise, on the cover of Vogue magazine. I turned the page, and there it was again on the cover of some other magazine. I turned it again, and there it was again and again and again. It turns out that Eloise, Eloise Salen, you can look this up, was a major cover girl in the 40s and the 50s. Here's Eloise in an ad for Sweetheart Soap. I got this off the internet yesterday. Here's Eloise in an ad for Ivory Soap. A cover girl's born beautiful. That's the article. Here's Eloise on the cover of True Confessions in 1949. <laughs> One day, Eloise told me that her roommate in New York City had been Grace Kelly. Another day, she told me that she had once dated John F. Kennedy for a time. I said, Eloise, you dated John F. Kennedy? And she said, yeah. I said, what happened? And she said, oh, I dumped him. I said, you dumped him? Why did you jump John F. Kennedy? And she like went like this, and she said, oh, Peter, he was boring. I just talk about politics and stuffy. John F. Kennedy. One of my very favorite things to do at Bel Air was to tell snobby people who looked down on Eloise about her history. They'd be talking to her, telling her to do something, run some errand, and I'd say, hey, did you know that Eloise was on the cover of Vogue magazine, 1950? And hey, did you know that Eloise's roommate was Grace Kelly? Yep, it's true. And hey, did you know that Eloise used to date John F. Kennedy? And not only that, she dumped John F. Kennedy. <laughs> and all at once, boom, it was like their entire demeanor changed. 
Their judgment of Eloise changed. Their name for Eloise changed. Cover girl, Eloise. And their pupils dilated. You know how we see people changes the way we treat people even subconsciously beyond our control. How we see people changes the way we treat people and the way we treat people changes people. Makes them, creates them. We've been reading the story of how God makes us in his image and you know he's still making us in his image with his word that is his judgment. Well in Genesis 3, The serpent tempts the woman to make herself in God's image by taking fruit from the tree. She knows that God said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And she eats it anyway and gives some to her husband who was with her. She ate and death entered the human race. The Black Plague swept across Europe. Six million Jews were tortured and exterminated in prison camps. Hundreds of thousands were killed in the killing fields of Cambodia. She ate, and everyone you love died. She ate. Then Adam and Eve hide from each other's eyes. They hide from the face of God, his judgment, his eyes. God finds them, curses the snake, and curses the earth. And then in verse 19, he says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Ashes to ashes, and dust to dust. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, St. Paul writes, Adam was not deceived. The woman was deceived and became a transgressor. The woman took and ate and death flooded all of history. Can you imagine a greater failure than that? I mean, it was like the woman actually gave birth To death, mother of death. Next verse. The Adam, the man, called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. That is not what we would expect, right? Literally in Hebrew, he names her mother of all life. All life. And not because she could have been the mother of all life, Not because she could be the mother of all life. Not because she should be the mother of all the life. And not because she will be the mother of all life. But because she is the mother of all life. It's the very last thing we would expect. It's grace. We expect law. Religion. Curses. You stupid wench. That's the last time I listened to you. That's the last time I let you do the talking. Yep, 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 yep. 
and the next thing I know, the whole world has gone to hell in a handbasket. Right? That's what I'd expect. We'd expect some cursing or at least some religion. You know, well, Eve, I certainly hope that you learned your lesson. I certainly do. And I certainly hope that you will submit yourself to a regimen of intensive inductive Bible study and perhaps uh, some regular prayer times and a woman's accountability group would be good for you, Eve. That's what we'd expect. But this is the very last thing we'd expect. I call you Eve, for you are present tense like an eternal reality. You are the mother of life, all life. Once before, Adam had named her, remember? Hinder woman, for she was taken out of man. She was made from his side. Like the church is made from Jesus' side. Body broken, blood shed. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The apostle Paul writes that this refers to Christ and the church. And so ladies, before you get too offended with me or the Apostle Paul. Remember that in Scripture, we really all are the woman. And Christ is the ultimate Adam. Remember a few weeks we preached, a few weeks ago we we preached about that, how, how Eve gave the fruit to Adam who was with her, and how we all give our sin to Jesus for he is with us and will not leave us nor forsake us, but has chosen to bear our sin on his tree. So there's an old Adam, but Jesus is the eschatos Adam, the last Adam. And now in the midst of the fall and the curse, Adam speaks his blessing. And this is so cool. Did you notice it? Adam didn't judge Eve. Adam didn't name Eve according to what she had done. He named her according to what God had said. And the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And God had said, let us make them in our image. And God is life. Well, Adam didn't name her according to her judgments. He named her according to God's judgment. Adam didn't judge Eve according to what she'd done in the past. He named her for who she is in eternity. Adam didn't judge her according to uh, her judgments. But according to God's judgment, Adam spoke God's word This Adam is God's word. You see, this isn't just old Adam. This is the eschatos Adam, Christ. And through him, God is creating us, his bride, creating us in his image. You remember in uh, chapter one, in the beginning, God creates a void because he's everything, right? (laughs) He creates a void within himself. And then into the void, he speaks his word, creating all things. 
Now in chapter 3, Eve creates a void, an empty space of disobedience in herself. And into the void, God will speak his word, his seed, Jesus. So think about this with me. Review this with me for a minute. Eve creates the void, that bubble of darkness through her judgment, which is disobedience. She takes from the tree to judge herself and to justify herself. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is like a mirror. With that knowledge, with that mirror, she gains the knowledge of the good, but makes herself bad. The mirror is the law. By taking law, we produce this. The false self, the old Adam, the old man, old humanity, what Paul calls the flesh, the self-made man. I've been preaching about this picture for months, but you see, this is the kingdom of my judgments, and my judgments are disobedience and darkness and death. For this is the beginning of hell. Well, when Christ came, we judged him. We nailed him to the tree of law, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the cross. On the cross, we took his life, and yet he gave his life. He forgave his life. On the cross, we took the good, and yet he forgave the good himself. He turned the tree of law, the knowledge of good and evil, into the tree of life. He fulfilled the law by bearing our curse and giving us his life. Now his cross is our mirror, our judgment, and the judgment is grace. At the cross, he makes us finishes us. It is finished. At the cross, he makes us in his image. That's the new Adam, the new man, the true self. This is the kingdom of God's judgment, the kingdom of mercy, and this is eternal life and light and the beginning and outpost even of the kingdom of heaven. And now get this. This is really important. You see that the new man has the form of the old man, yet with an entirely different substance. <laughs> Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. <laughs> God consigned all men to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So the form of the old is the form of the new, but with an entirely different substance. No longer a vessel of wrath, but a vessel of mercy. Now, I have both of these pictures up here that we've been looking at recently, because I want you to see that I have an old man, and I have a new man. This old man 
This old self isn't the real me, but a lie that I tell about me that I think is me. It has to be defended. It has to be defended a lot because it's extremely fragile, and it's extremely fragile because it's a lie. It's already dead. just doesn't know it. It's everything bad in me and responsible for everything bad that comes out of me. It's the kingdom of my judgments. It's sin in the flesh, and it was judged on the cross. And this, this is a new self. I have a new self. It's the real me. It's the truth about me that God tells, but I'm just barely beginning to believe. It doesn't need to be defended or justified at all because it's indestructible. It's not fragile. It's made of truth, and Jesus is the truth. It's eternal. It's eternal, and yet it's being created and revealed in space and time. The mystery hidden for ages and generations Christ in me. He is everything good in me and responsible for everything good that comes out of me. It's the kingdom of God's judgment revealed on the cross where his spirit was poured out upon all flesh. Acts 2.17. Scripture tells me to consider myself dead to this and alive to God in Christ Jesus, alive to this. In fact, to just put this on. That's what Scripture says. And Scripture also tells me that I'm to view no one according to a human point of view. I think that means don't pay any attention to this because this just doesn't matter. Only this. You know, the way we see people changes the way we treat people. And the way we treat people changes people. Each of us is a mirror, just with our eyes. We can reflect the judgment of God, which is grace and truth, when we see this. Or we can reflect the judgment of this world, which is death and lies. The judgments at church eventually got to Eloise. She lost her job. Before we left L.A., I remember Susan and I, we went and saw her. She lived alone in a one-bedroom apartment. She was utterly paranoid, scared to leave, terrified of the phone. The phone would ring, and she'd sit there, kind of shaken on the couch, muttering to herself, what will they think? What will they think? What will they think if they see me now? I heard that she died alone, and they didn't find her body for, for a few days. And you see, I don't think I helped. I probably hurt when I went on about cover girls and John F. Kennedy and Grace Kelly. Because you see, that was still just a human point of view. No wonder she got embarrassed. She, she'd say, oh, Peter, stop. And 
And now I see why. I was only encouraging hell, something dead, something she could not maintain. Cover girl was just a pretty name for the false self, like whitewash on a tomb, like fig leaves slapped over death. Richard Rohr says, much religion is just survival mechanisms for the false self. Ways we whitewash this tomb. Ways we cover it in fig leaves. It's just finding prettier names for the old Adam. Names like Pharisee instead of tax collector or prostitute. And it all we do the words of Jesus is make a person twice the child of hell. Well, instead of encouraging the flesh, this, you see, I could have encouraged the spirit, this. Instead of speaking human judgment, I could have spoken God's judgment. I could have said, hey, did you know that Eloise has not only been washed with ivory soap, but she's been cleansed in the blood of the lamb, her sweetheart. And hey, did you know that Eloise not only dated John F. Kennedy, but she is actually betrothed to Jesus the Christ. And hey, you snooty person, did you know Eloise not only roomed with Grace Kelly, but the Spirit of God, no lie, the Spirit of God rooms in her heart even now. And hey, did you know her face isn't only on the cover of Vogue magazine, but God is her daddy, and she's the apple of his eye. She's the face reflected in the eyes of God, now, what I'm telling you is a true confession. It's no lie. I could have said that. I could have entered her sorrow and spoken that. I could have helped Jesus shape her in his image in space and time. In the movie, What Dreams May Come, Robin William Williams plays this guy named Chris. He's married to a woman named Annie who's a painter. Their two children die in an auto accident, and then Christy also dies in an auto accident. Annie, his wife, paints herself into a hell of shame. She judges herself for their death and commits suicide. She tries to kill herself with herself, which is only more self, more hell. Well, in heaven, Christy, or Christy, finds a guide and descends into hell to search for his bride. He, he finds her in an upside-down church, in a dark little room constructed with her judgments and lies. Christy tries to convince her of the truth, but she won't believe. She won't leave. The guide tells Christy that if she stays, if he stays, he'll be trapped in her lies too. And Christy decides he would rather be with her in hell 
than apart from her in paradise. He comes out to inform the guide of his decision. You didn't think I'd make it out, huh? You were in there a while. Took me a while to realize you were right. Nothing you can do could ever help her. Oh, yeah, I'm giving up. Just not the way you think. Go home, Al. You tell my children I love them. And I won't leave their mother. Give themselves. No, I can't. But I can forgive you. For killing my children. And my sweet husband. Being so wonderful, a guy would choose hell over heaven just to hang around you. about that. Christy gives up everything, everything, just to be with her. He bears her sin, and in doing so, he tells her who she is. Through his sacrifice, she believes the truth. She sees him as he is, then she sees herself in his eyes, and they rise from the dead together. Now, it's just a movie, <laughs> but maybe it should remind you of something. <laughs> the bride of Christ has trapped herself in a body of sin and death, but our bridegroom, the ultimate Adam, has descended into our darkness even descended into our hell. As we nail him to the cross, where he gives us his body and his blood, as we nail him to the cross, we see him as he is, and then we see ourselves in his eyes. He is God's judgment of grace, God's word, God's seed descended into the dark womb of this world and into the dark womb of our hearts, creating us in God's image. He washes us, covers us, completes us with himself, our bridegroom. Now listen to Paul in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her 
that he might sanctify her, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. You see, I am to make my wife splendid. (laughs) Not by grumbling at her, which is my normal method. Not by nagging, not by complaining, not by judging her with human eyes, but seeing her with the eyes of God and naming her. By being with her, seeing her, and naming her as she truly is. Like the way Jesus came to be with a coward named Simon. Looked at him one day and named him Peter, the rock. And on that rock built his church. The way the God-man came and wrestled with a cheat named Jacob, but looked at him one day and named him Israel, and through him fathered his people. The way Adam, who was with her, looked at the woman, and instead of naming her mother of death, he named her mother of all life. And through her, still crushes the head of the serpent. So you see, in Genesis 3.20, this is much more than just the old Adam. This is old Adam surrendered and filled with the new Adam, Jesus the Christ. And so you see, we all are Eve. And did you know that we also all are old Adam? But the degree to which we surrender to the new Adam is the degree to which we operate his, as, his, as his body, his eyes in this world. We enter into the sorrows of our neighbors here in this world and yet see them as they truly are in eternity. In order that we might reflect that image now and they might be that person now in space and time. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm saying that we help Adam name Eve. We help the church, or we help Christ name his church. We help Jesus name his people and thus create people, eternal people, the new creation. Now you may say, oh, that's cool, that's nice, that's like a bunch of great theology, but how's it work? What's it look like? Well, first, I think it looks like being with her, being with each other. That's why we make such a big deal out of house churches. That's why we suggest, hey, you ought to form a small group or get a prayer partner or at least just go bowling with someone that believes the gospel. For when we believe the gospel... For ourselves, we also believe it for others. And you see, when we believe it for others, we tell them who they are subconsciously with just the dilation of our eyes. Our eyes will dilate. Why? Because we'll begin to see this. And not pay any attention to this. When you believe, your eyes become Christ's eyes. God's mirror telling people who they are. And when we know who we are, we begin to act like who we are. Be with each other first. Secondly, it looks like confessing your sins one to another. When we confess our sins, we are surrendering this. (laughs) 
We are giving him up in the eyes of a brother. Giving him up to crucifixion on Christ's tree. And if you're worried about accidentally confessing this, you know, sometimes, oh, gee, did I confess too much? Did I say too much? Don't worry about confessing this. He is indestructible. You can't hurt him. And when you hear a confession, when someone confesses their sins to you, don't curse them. Don't shame them. Don't answer with religion. Don't present a program so they can put fig leaves on this. And don't give them fig leaves so they can hide this, saying, oh, it's not so bad. No, just enter their sorrow. Look them in the eye and issue God's judgment. In the name of Jesus and under the authority of his blood, you're forgiven. And then thirdly, tell them who they are. Speak the name. Peter writes, you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, uh, God's own people, a holy nation. John writes, you are the little children of God. Little children get their name from their father. You are the bride of Christ. Brides get their name from the groom. Paul writes, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. So if a name won't stick on Jesus, it won't stick on you. Are you his body? Then don't receive any name that won't stick on him. Name your brothers and sisters with the family name, the name of Jesus. And you know, I think we can even begin to name each other as individuals. Only God knows your, your full name, that name on the white stone. Yet even now, he's beginning to reveal it. You see, when we enter another person's sorrow, darkness, or hell, we begin to see the old man. We see it. We begin to see this, the false self. But do you see that this false self is an inverse of an obverse, the true self. The form of disobedience becomes the form of God's mercy. The new man fills a void that was the old man. So when I pray for people, I try to ask this question. God, what does your grace look like in this person, this particular person. So if I was praying for Simon Peter, for instance, I might ask that question and then look him in the eye and say, Peter, you seem awfully scared. I think you're a rock. Paul, you're like an old Pharisee. I think you are the apostle of grace. John, you seem awfully angry, calling down a fire on a whole Samaritan village. I think you're the beloved disciple. God, help him to believe it. Mary, you think you're a prostitute. But I know who you are. 
you're the bride of Christ. Child, you call yourself a bastard, but that's not who you are. For your daddy is God. Woman, you feel desolate, barren, and ashamed, but I'm telling you, you are the mother of all life. That means so much to me, for I've heard Jesus name my friend Elaine with that name. And then washed as its truth has been revealed in space and time. Jesus names her. And do you see he also names you? The mother of all life. You realize, don't you, that every time you sin, you give birth to death. Even the death of Jesus the Christ upon the cross. So if we were to be named by our judgments and by our deeds, we would be mother of death. And yet Adam looked at Eve and named her the mother of all life. Did you get that? All life. That would include Adam, right? And do you remember that Jesus is the life? And please remember that the church is his mother. When we believe the gospel, you see, we testify to the gospel. And we give birth to Jesus in others. And Jesus is all life. And so church, look at me. I know that you have sinned. I know that I have sinned. I know that you have sinned, but that is not who you are. You are the mother of all life. Single barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud for you have not, who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. For your maker is your husband. And on the night that he was betrayed, the beginning of the sixth day, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins, the sins of many. Drink of it, all of you. And do it in remembrance of me. And so, sweetheart, come to the table and look into the eyes of God. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. These dark cups are wine. Light cups are juice. They're both life. In Jesus' name, amen. For God has done what the law could not do, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh.
in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in those of us who live according to the Spirit rather than according to the flesh. If you came to this table, repeat these words after me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You don't have to defend that. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to fight for that. You're free. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel so other people could be free. Amen.